0: Hey everyone! Welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast that gives you a fresh and faithful study of Scriptures, and helps you renew your excitement for your own personal study, and helps you passionately teach what you're learning to others. This is episode forty-seven, Ether six through twelve, and it's a special episode because I am here with the one, the only Garrett Shields. Thanks happy, for being with us, Garrett. Happy to be here. We did have uh, another guest with us, uh, Dan McKinley, who. We all did Jacob five together if you go back to that episode I think it was more laughing than it was scriptures. Scriptures. yeah it was, oh yeah it wasn't Jacob five it, it was five. it was the Isaiah chapters that's right but uh Dan <laughs> Dan uh has sick kids and a sick self today so our shout out to him love you Dan and um, so but we're, we're, we're excited to be together and uh as we were talking about this we were looking at potential episodes you said these are some of your some of or, 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 or what is your favorite chapter right ether 12 ether 12 is my favorite chapter in all of the scriptures so when you said that was one of the
1: possibilities I immediately got excited so, <laughs> so
0: there we go not to hype it up too much but this will be the best episode we've ever had You, <laughs> <Q> Garrett <laughs> um, but we wanted to start with a study a, a teaching more of a teaching question um I've been thinking a lot about this um, as, I've, as I've, I've had the chance recently in the last couple of weeks to watch a lot of seminary classes, ones in my own building and in other buildings. And I've noticed, and you notice this too, that um, when you're in a class, there's, there's kind of three strata, three levels of students, right? There's mm-hmm. the students that it doesn't matter <laughs> what you teach. I mean, you could be speaking in Greek and they'll be listening, they'll be taking notes. Then there's, there's, I don't know if normal is, is a <laughs> negative term compared to that, but you've got your middle group of normal students that some days are on, sometimes they're off, and, and uh, usually they're they're pretty good. They have off days, and sometimes they're connected. And, and then you have students, sometimes that they're really difficult to engage in a lesson. Um, and as I've been watching uh, and seeing that a lot, sometimes I know that our temptation is to look at students like that or teenagers like that or, or people like that and think, you're a problem to the class. You know, you've know, you always got your phone out or you're talking to someone else. You're a problem. And as I've been looking the past couple of weeks, I thought, what if we switch from thinking about that student or that behavior even as a problem and thinking about it as a symptom of a problem? And so I started to think, oh. this student is behaving in this way. What's the reason why? What's mm-hmm. the underlying problem? And if we can yeah. address that problem, maybe the symptom will lessen or disappear. So the question I asked is... What do you do, Garrett, um, in your class, if you notice that a student is, is disengaged or isn't, isn't involved or seems distant from the class, what do you do to reach that student and, and connect with them so that they can, they can connect with the class and connect with the lesson?
1: Well, and I, I and you, neither one of us would profess to be perfect at doing this or the experts in any way, shape, or form, but um, I think the word that you said there at the end is that if I can connect with them, right then then that is already accomplishing something worthwhile uh i think of uh, this quote from elder holland uh and he's talking about students but this would apply i think to parents and and those children who are in that situation and and a parent who's really struggling and doesn't know how to reach someone right uh so he's going to use the word students but i think it applies generally if those students are unresponsive maybe you can't teach them yet but you can love them and if you love them today maybe you can teach them tomorrow Wow yeah. so powerful right um, that student uh, so often there is an underlying problem or for that kid or that person there is an underlying problem and we can't get at the underlying issue of someone unless they know that we care about them and love them mm-hmm. right and so that student, and and I've tried to do this recently, but I'll kneel down next to him and just say, "Hey, how's lacrosse?" <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And and just talk to him, and 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 show them that I care. Um, there's one student in one of my classes that he's really having a hard time right now, and I just told him, "You know what? I am going to pray for you by name every day till the end of the year," and. He's come to class on time, <laughs> three days in a row mm. now, right? And so um, I think if, if they know that we love them, that's, that's so much, I don't know, that's already going so far in helping
0: them. Yeah. Okay. Well, we have a big block, Ether chapters 6 through 15. It's the second half of this story of the brother of Jared. Last time we followed him as they got across the, well, as they... Build their barges, put the light in their barges, and, and began sailing. Today they land, and then we follow the rest of the whatever eighteen, nineteen, hundred years of Jaredite <laughs> history. And honestly, it's not super uplifting. <laughs> That's an understatement. <laughs> yeah, it's um. In fact, I, I I wasn't gonna do this, but I I'm thinking of it in in Germany on their. Uh, on their smoking, on their smoking packets, what are they called? Cigarette cartons. <laughs> they have these, one of the, the laws, and I think it's all, all of Europe, but it was in, in Germany, they have these big smoking warnings. And they're big white warnings with black borders. And they have really dramatic warnings on them. Like the one that's very popular is, is that uh, rauchen kann tödlich sein, which means uh, smoking is deadly. But there's some that are like um, smoking... Can lead to a slow and painful death. <laughs> uh, uh, smoking makes your skin age. Oh. Um. No smoking. Smoke contains benzene, nitrosamine, formaldehyde, and hydrogen cyanide. And the idea, of course, is um, if we can show this warning, if we can, then then people will. And I, I kind of get the sense that there's a little bit of that in the end of oh, yeah. Moroni. is looking at the destruction of his people, and he's mm-hmm. looking back at the destruction of the Jaredites and seeing, you know, there's a warning in all of this. Uh-huh. But I also think, and you and I were talking about this before, but um, I also think that when a, when a diamond seller lays out their diamonds, they put this black satin cloth down mm-hmm. and put the diamond on top of it so that you can see the diamond in its contrast. Buried in the midst of all of this is this one chapter in Ether 12. Where the diamond shines, mm-hmm. and so what we want to do today is is spend a little bit of time on the black satin cloth,
1: very little, bit. very little <laughs> bit of time,
0: so that when we get to Ether Chapter Twelve and look at the diamond, it really shines yeah. you know, for, for what it is. So, Garrett, you you're with a passion for Ether Six. Yeah, mm-hmm. I
1: love, and, and I'll and it's fairly brief. I'll make it short, but I love this part in Ether Six where they finish the barges. They're about to go, and then it describes in a couple verses their journey on the water. So, remember, the Lord told the brother of Jared, you don't need to worry about steering. I'm going to make it so the wind takes you to the promised land. And notice the description of the wind, starting in Ether 6, verse 5, says, and it came to pass that the Lord God caused that there should be a furious wind blow upon the face of the waters. And then I'm going to be skipping around, but notice the description. Thus, they were tossed upon the waves of the sea before the wind. They were many times buried in the depths of the sea. Mountain waves broke upon them. Great and terrible tempests. The fierceness of the wind. Again in verse 7, they're buried in the deep. This is a hard journey, right? Mm -hmm. This is hard stuff that they're going through. And by the way, it lasts almost a year, we learn in verse 11. But I love this in verse 8. These furious winds, these mountain waves, this great and terrible tempest. There's a purpose. And in verse 8, <coughs> it says, And it came to pass that the wind did never cease to blow towards the promised land. That these waves were hard, and life has some really hard things that we go through. And God can use those hard things to help us get to our promised land. And sometimes we, these things that we think are hard are actually God's way of taking us to the place that he knows is going to be best for us, our promised land in life and ultimately our promised land in heaven. But for those times where you feel like there's a mountain wave pummeling you and it's not stopping and then you think that one's done and then a bigger wave comes and hits you even harder. If we can just hold on and recognize that God loves me and is helping me get where I need to go, then I think that can provide us some comfort.
0: I had... uh... I was in a meeting this last week where we were looking at a section of the Doctrine and Covenants, and it was kind of a, one of those boring sections where it's just this person's name has been assigned to do this. This yes. person's name has been assigned It's section 57. So let my servant Sidney Gilbert do this. Let my servant Oliver Cow do this. Edward Partridge do this. But the lesson that was taught was, this was our area director. He taught, he said, put up on the board each person in their assignment, and then he said, tell me about their history, where they've been, and how that history uniquely prepared them for this current assignment, which was interesting study. Yeah. But then the question he asked was even more interesting to say, will you look at your past at your experiences Wow. and then ask yourself the question, what experiences has the Lord given me with which I currently am not doing something? What, Help me understand that so question. So what have, what has, what, what storms, what... What waves, what winds have I weathered at, at the Lord's hand? He's been blowing me through the ocean, but I've had all these storms. And the goal of him giving me this experience is that I come out the other end with skills or abilities or perspectives yes. that I okay. that I help build his kingdom. Right. Uh-huh. So to look at your past and say, what experiences have I had on my past with which I currently am not doing something? I'm, I'm oh, not acting on it. Okay. And you want a way to figure out what God wants you to do. Well, look at your past. Look at the storms you've been through. Uh-huh. Um knowing that God allows those storms to push you towards the promised land. Once you get in the promised land, now you've got you to build something. You've got to do something with it. So I love this idea that, that God's constantly allowing things to happen in your life, even things that we see are kind of negative, but that they blow you to this promised land where it's a blessing for you, but then you can turn out on and be a blessing for others. Powerful. Um, so with that background it's very fitting the rest of ether six through 15 <laughs> at the very end of ether six uh they do what they do in the old testament where the people ask uh the brother jared and jared for a king and uh the, the brother of jared gives the warning this is in verse 23 uh the brother of jared said to them surely this thing meaning the desire to have a king leadeth to captivity uh, if you remember, Mosiah has the same concern earlier in the Book of Mormon. Samuel has the same problem when they want a king from him. And yet the people insist they want a king. <laughs> and so they go through all of the sons of, is it Jared and all the sons of the brother of Jared, but one? Is, uh-huh. is it Jared's it's the last one of the one last of one that he, he agrees and Oriha uh, is his name and he ends up being a good king. But he's one among few, because after that, it's just this it's this days of our lives story where king against king brother murders brother who puts his other brother in captivity and his father who has this child in captivity. And, and it's just on and on and on. It's this very kind of depressing, very depressing story. <laughs> and it goes all the way through the end until you get to chapter 15 when you have uh, these last two left, right? Coriantumur and Shiz. and mm-hmm. They're the last two people. They, their armies have literally fought down to the last two people. <laughs> they just wake up every morning, kill a couple more, go to sleep, wake up, until uh-huh. it's just these last two. Uh-huh. And Coriantumur finally cuts off the head of Shiz in this really glory, gory description at the end of the book. <laughs> and that's how the book ends, right? It's yep. so, a really bleak black it satin is, cloth. It is. That's a, <laughs> it's a big black satin cloth. <laughs> but it's such a good black satin cloth because... Ether chapter twelve, I think, is one of the most glorious diamonds in the whole Book of Mormon. Right? Mm-hmm. What I like most, based on what you were just saying about the winds and the waves, is verse four. And I almost think Moroni puts this in here on purpose. Oh, that's a
1: good, <coughs> that's a good point. I'd never thought of that. Man.
0: Wherefore, whoso believeth in God might with a surety hope for a better world. And if I'm Moroni writing that. That's him writing a story, right? Uh He's watched the entire destruction of his people, and he's just recounted the entire destruction of the Jaredite people, and he wants to hope in a better world. And the better world he's hoping in is our world. He's looked forward to our day, and he's seen much of the bad, but he also sees the second coming of the Savior and all of the incredible things that will lead up to that. Mm -hmm. So those might surely hope for a better world. Yea, even a place at the right hand of God. Which hope cometh of faith? And maketh an anchor to the souls of men, which would make them sure and steadfast, always abounding in good works, being led to glorify God. So in the midst of this ocean that you're being tossed and turned, Ronai says, I want to throw you out an anchor. I want to give you something yeah. that'll make it so that you are sure and steadfast and grounded in place. And that anchor is, all throughout Ether 12, it's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, mm-hmm, confidence mm-hmm. and trust in him. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to look at Ether 12 and just provide some... some some scriptures, some stories, some thoughts that maybe anchor you, someone, if they're listening, um, if they feel like they're going through those those winds and those waves and an incredible storms. So. And we had talked a
1: little bit about some of these powerful verses, but I think we would be remiss if we skipped verse 6. Mm-hmm. And so I'll read it, and then any comments you have or that I would make too. But And now I, Moroni, would speak somewhat concerning these things. I would show unto the world that faith is things which are hoped for, And not seen, wherefore dispute not because ye see not, for ye receive no witness until after the trial of your faith. Sometimes people look at the word trial and think that that means hardship. Mm. But in this verse, I think it can mean hardship, but I think it also is our way of saying a test of our faith Mm -hmm. or a way that we show our faith. So we receive a witness of of (laughs) whatever it is that we want a testimony of. We receive it after we show faith, right? After if I want a testimony of tithing, I need to show my faith in Christ and pay tithing, and that's when the testimony comes, not beforehand. And that I think can be an anchor for people, mm-hmm. but it does require, as many uh, of these anchors in 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 our lives do, requires us showing faith first, and then we receive that witness.
0: I think faith is such a tricky thing to pin down, uh, definition-wise, and there's there's a a a bunch of verses that we can draw on for different definitions and each one provides a little bit different definition, but I, uh, I really like, I love, I I love the hope. Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe it's because I think Moroni out of all of the, the book of Mormon authors, uh, Moroni to me often seems like one of the most human. I think I can sense his, even though he doesn't write a whole lot, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, he Quotes the story. He puts in a bunch of letters from his from his father from uh-huh. Mormon, but something in that I just sense his his humility and his his humanness, and I sense him sitting here saying, "Look, I'm writing unto you in the year 2018, and I know that you may feel a lot like I feel that everything's just tossed and turned. Yep. But I would show unto the world, I would speak somewhat concerning these things that." Faith is things which are hoped for and not seen. Hmm. And back in verse 4, the thing you hope for is a better world. You can hope that Christ is coming and that he's going to make the world better. Mm -hmm. Well, as we look at E3-12, knowing that there's things that provide hope and faith, uh, what are some of the the things? I mean, this is your favorite chapter. What is it that that stands out to you?
1: Honestly, I mean, the whole thing is amazing, but it kind of goes back to what you said. I think that Moroni is one of those prophets that you get to see the human side of him. And I think that starts in verse 23. And at this point, I mean, at this point when Moroni is writing this, he's been on his own alone, the last of his people for maybe even decades, right? The final battle where they're all killed off is 385. And there's only a few survivors. And then we know that he finally finishes and seals the plates in 421 AD. And so somewhere in there, it could be almost 36 years, Is when he's writing this, and he apparently has a moment of just frustration and weakness, and he's been alone and he's been trying to survive and doing all these things. And also, the only thing he has left to live for, in a sense, is these records, and he doesn't feel like he's good at writing, right? And so, in verse 23, I picture him pick, like, writing with his stylus, whatever you use to write on metal plates, I don't know. And and he's got these other records around him or whatever, and I picture him almost like throwing down the stylus, maybe even shoving the plates off of his desk, and they clatter to the ground. If he had a desk, I just realized he didn't even have a desk. And just getting frustrated and saying, Lord, the Gentiles are going to mock at these things. They're not even going to pay attention. They won't even care because because of our weakness in writing – For, Lord, thou hast made us mighty in word by faith, and we can talk well, but I just can't write. And he compares himself to someone else, which we Mm -hmm. all have way too much of a tendency to do, right? And he says in verse 24, Behold, thou hast not made us mighty in writing like unto the brother of Jared. He was good at writing. I'm not good at writing. Mm -hmm. That was his strength, and it's not mine, but here I'm the one who has to write this. Verse 25, Thou hast also made our words powerful and great, but we can't write. So the words we speak are powerful and great. Wherefore, when we write, we behold our weakness and stumble. And I fear lest the Gentiles shall mock at our words. He's just told all of us. He's having a moment of weakness where he is dwelling on his weaknesses. And he says, and they're going to make fun of me. They're going to mock me. They're going to mock these words. At first, I love the phrase in verse 26, God's response. Fools mock, but they shall mourn. (laughs) Right? Mic drop. Right? And then uh, my grace is sufficient for the meek that they shall take no advantage of your weakness but verse 27 is it's my favorite verse in all the scriptures and and i don't i don't mean to go on a rant zach so stop to whatever you want okay i love this verse 27 and if men come unto me this is jesus responding to moroni in a moment of weakness says and if men come unto me i will show unto them their weakness now there's two ways of interpreting that word weakness that word weakness could be interpreted as I've made it so that you're going through this mortal experience, and that is weakness, Mm -hmm. right? You also could look at that word weakness as our many weaknesses, right? And he's going to address that one later on when he uses the phrase weak things, Mm -hmm. right? So I think both are appropriate. I'm going to focus on this idea of I have multiple weaknesses. Because of my mortal existence, I have weaknesses because I'm a, a natural man, right? I give unto men weakness that they may be humble. And my... Grace is sufficient. I love that. My grace is sufficient for all men that humble themselves before me. The Bible Dictionary defines grace as divine means of help or strength given through the bounteous mercy and love of Christ. So Christ just told us, My power, my strength is sufficient for men that will humble themselves before me. For if they humble themselves before me and have faith in me, then will I make weak things become strong unto them. Mm. That it's not just that weak thing, it'll be okay. It's that weak thing that you hate, that you feel like you struggle with, that you you sometimes throw down your stylus and whatever you have a, a hard moment with. That weak thing is <clears throat> going to come strong. And it's, it's not going to become strong because you're going to make it strong. Mm-hmm. It's going to become strong because I can make weak things become strong and i think when we dwell on our weaknesses without looking to christ that's when we get into problems right and um i love this quote from neil a maxwell anyone and it comes from a talk uh that brad wilcox gave at byu called his grace is efficient i literally keep this talk on my phone at all times Mm -hmm, so i can mm -hmm. listen to it whenever i want but at the end he quotes neil a maxwell saying and and this is to people that are maybe a little bit like me zach I am way too hard on myself Mm -hmm. all the time. It's it's way, it's way too easy of a trap for me to fall into. Right. And elder Maxwell said this now, may I speak to those buffeted by false insecurity who though laboring devotedly in the kingdom have recurring feelings of falling forever short. This feeling of inadequacy is normal. There is no way the church can honestly describe where we must yet go and what we must yet do without creating a sense of immense distance. Mm. That's normal. Mm -hmm. We are very different from God right now, right? So, so that's okay that we feel that way. This is a gospel of grand expectations, right? But God's grace is sufficient for each of us, right? And I just love that. I love that that quote there from Elder Maxwell.
0: I don't know, Zach. I'm talking about comments. No, I love it. I I love the word sufficient. Mm. Um, we touched on that last episode where um, I think in the story of the brother of Jared, if you're not careful, you can look and see. Well, and even the whole story of the Book of Mormon, you can look and see these great heroes and see that they did incredible things. I was looking in Ether twelve, the verse right after the ones you're reading. Uh, verse 28, and moreover, verse 29, I, Maroni, um having heard these words, meaning the words that weaknesses mm-hmm. can become strength, was mm-hmm. comforted. And then verse 30, the brother of Jared said unto the mountain of Zeran, remove, and it was removed. And if he had not had faith, it would not have moved. Wherefore, thou workest after man have faith. Mm-hmm. And so here, the, it's common example of being able to move faith or move a mountain with faith. Mm-hmm. But why doesn't it work without faith? It's not because of your belief. It's not because of your hope. It's because God moves the mountain and you have confidence in him. <laughs> that's a good point. It's, and so I, I love this humility that comes in recognizing that I am mortal and God is not. And he allows me to draw upon that power in my life. And that's really what faith is. It's, mm-hmm. the, it's the act by which I reach up and grab Power that God is willing Mm -hmm. to give and draw it down into my life. Mm -hmm. It's not my power. It's not my ability. It's His.
1: And when we don't recognize that, we can feel overwhelmed. Mm -hmm.
0: Or we look at all the
1: list of things that we're supposed to be doing and we're not doing, and we start to feel overwhelmed by all those, and Mm -hmm. we're not measuring up, and we can't. We we can't do everything that we're supposed to do as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, And we're always falling, as Elder Maxwell said, we're always falling forever short. Mm -hmm. And so I love this uh, quote from Elder Holland uh, two years ago, two and a half years ago in conference. Um, He said this, and I had a friend share this with me recently. And he said that if we're listening to that voice that's telling us that we'll never make it, we're listening to the wrong voice. Mm -hmm. He says, only the adversary, the enemy of us all, would try to convince us that the ideals outlined in general conference, because he was speaking in conference, mm-hmm. that these ideals are depressing and unrealistic, that people don't really improve, that no one really progresses. And why does Lucifer give that speech? Because he knows he can't improve, he can't progress, right? Right. And then he tells us, well, don't fall for that. And this, I love this statement here. He says, with the gift of the atonement of Jesus Christ and the strength of heaven to help us, we can improve. And this is the part that just stands out to me. And I've thought about this so much. And the great thing about the gospel is we get credit for trying, even if we don't always succeed. Mm-hmm. That Jesus doesn't look at me failing in so many ways and say, ah, oh, Garrett. No, he says, you get credit for trying, Garrett. Thank you for trying, right? Because you're trying, you're, you're, you you're get credit. For, you, you're already succeeding because you're even trying. And I think it goes well with what how Elder Holland ends the talk. He says, my brothers and sisters, the first great commandment of all eternity is to love God with all of our heart, might, mind, and strength. That's the first great commandment. But the first great truth of all eternity is that God loves us with all of his heart, might, mind, and strength. That love is the foundation stone of eternity, and it should be the foundation stone of our daily life.
0: Verse 28, Behold, I will show unto the Gentiles their weakness, and I will show unto them that faith, hope, and charity, mm. which is the pure love of Christ, bringeth unto me the fountain of all righteousness. Mm, so good. Sometimes God lets you sit in the ocean with the waves and the winds so that he can prove to you in your moment of doubt, that he loves you and that he's there for you and that he can anchor you? How can I be assured of God's love unless I have a wave trying to topple my boat (laughs) and he provides that anchor for me? Well, at the end of Ether 12, this is verse 38, Moroni's sign-off, in this chapter at least. And now I, Moroni, bid farewell unto the Gentiles. Yea, and also unto my brethren whom I love, until we shall meet before the judgment seat of Christ, where all men shall know that my garments are not spotted with your blood. And then shall you know that I have seen Jesus, and that he hath talked with me face to face, and that he told me in plain humility, even as a man telleth another in mine own language, concerning these things. And only a few have I written because of the weakness in my writing, and then this verse that we both love. Mm -hmm. And now I would commend you to seek this Jesus. Of whom the prophets and apostles have written, that the grace of God, the Father, and also the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost, which beareth record of them, may be and abide in you forever. Amen. And, and
1: how beautiful. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No. If this is the guy who started this chapter saying, I'm weak at writing. How does he end this chapter with these beautiful verses? And this is Moroni who wrote Moroni's promise. The verses that every missionary (laughs) reads to every person that they're first teaching, they aren't the brother of Jared's words. Mm -hmm. They're Moroni's words. This weak thing that Moroni thought he was weak in has become strong, right? And this this is such a powerful example. And I know that you and I, each of us could think of things that we used to feel weak in, that now we feel so much stronger, not because you and I are great, Mm -hmm. but because Jesus is great. And his grace is sufficient. And he will help us through those winds and waves. He'll help us through our weak things. He is our anchor. His grace is sufficient. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Well, I hope that this made a difference for, for those that are listening this week. And I, and I really think that it will. I, I know we're both passionate about it. And hopefully this begins gives you something to study as you looking through chapter chapter we, we pointed to like two or three anchors and i think the whole chapter is riddled with them <laughs> yeah. so if you want an anchor to the soul go look at some of the other examples that moroni gives um, but thank you so much for listening thank you garrett for being with us thank this you week. zach thank you I is, thank you for giving me this opportunity it um, is always fun to have you and we will see the rest of you next week